Good morning again. Let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Last Sunday, we were exhorted from the first two verses of this chapter. And we are exhorted to specifically yield our lives to Christ in worship. We focused on the, the, the great mercies reflecting on the first 11 chapters. Uh, and that it is God's mercy, His grace toward us in salvation, which is multifaceted. It serves as the fuel by which we worship. The greater we understand God's mercies in our life, the greater that we understand the depths of the wisdom, the riches of the knowledge of God, the higher the heights of our worship. And this yielding of ourselves, Paul said, particularly looks like renewing our minds. Renewing them as, as we looked at from the futility of this world so that we may discern God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. Paul's going to continue, and as we're going to look at verses one, or 3 through 8, he expounds on what this practically looks like in the life of the church. And he's going to exhort us to specifically exercise our spiritual gifts for the building up of one another. One way by which we yield ourselves in worship to Christ is by serving the body and the means that he's equipped us to do that. And so over the past couple of years, your pastors and, and the leadership of this church have implemented several changes. If you've been here longer than three years or five years or ten years or some of you 30, 40, 50 years, 60 years, you've noticed the acceleration of change in these last few years has been quite much. The, 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 the pedal has been put to the metal, if you want to put it that way. But I want you to know that it hasn't been changed just for change's sake. It's in particularly been to restructure uh, the church and to bring clarity of vision and direction so that you may better make use of your gifts. One of the things that I, I heard, at least from new people coming in when I, I uh, took the lead pastor role, was that, yes, there's a lot going on, but only a very few are involved. Yes, there's a lot going on, but only the elite few are, are really in the know. Or there's no real clear means by which I know how to go from walking in that door the first time to serving. And so that takes time to change. It takes time to, to, to raise up leaders, to think through that. But I want you to know, and if you've been here for that three-year period, you've seen some of that. This is your first Sunday. You don't know any different. But everything, from the moment you walk in those, the, the front doors, there has been a lot of change here. And it's been in the spirit of Ephesians 4.12 that we have intentionally sought to better equip you so that you may do the work of ministry. And that's one of the things behind uh, what we're doing this month in the Antioch and the testimonies. You're seeing different faces that are serving that I hope will have even more faces next year. 
That if you go to a business meeting, you're not just hearing one or two people talk, but you're going to see a vast array of, of men and women, different age groups, sharing the work of the ministry. See, when we understand that our lives are not our own, that we've been bought with a price, when we contemplate the mercies of God poured out on us, we realize that God has called us to be his people and his laborers to proclaim his excellencies through the church. Say that more simply, our lives have a purpose, brothers and sisters. If you're a member of this church, if you're a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, your life has a specific purpose. You have a, a kingdom purpose, we might call it. Whereby we are ambassadors for Christ in the world, calling others to know and love him. And so part of discerning God's will for our lives, Romans 12, 2, is learning what he's called us to do. Learning and discerning how God has particularly gifted us so that we may yield ourselves in worship to him in the church. I'm reminded of Paul's words to Timothy. He says, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. That's what I want to do this morning. I want to fan into flame the gift of God in you. Or appeal you to you to fan that flame, to, to stir it up, that we may have many, many, many more ministers in this church. And I don't mean that in the big M sense. Ministers, men and women of all stripes serving in this church. Maybe you're here this morning and the coals of your heart are cold. To worship and you need to be stirred up in your activity for Christ you need to be filled with the spirit whereby your gifts are set aflame for service to him maybe the reason that you don't feel full of the spirit or feel that your heart is cold is perhaps maybe you're discouraged maybe you're fearful and that fear and that discouragement grips you and keeps you from from doing anything you you just got it in neutral or maybe you're consumed with that which has no eternal value. And you're more aflame by the things that will pass away, where moth and rust will destroy and thieves can break in and steal. Or possibly you're just unaware. Maybe you're a new believer, you haven't ever been taught on these things, and you're just unaware that you have a calling as a Christian. Wherever you are this morning, I want to exhort us. I want us to use our gifts and our abilities out of gratitude to what Christ has given us. I want every believer in this church to have the embers of their hearts stoked for active service and ministry in the body. And I want us to help, or help us see that a life yielded to Christ in worship is a life devoted to exercising one's spiritual gifts for the benefit of one another and the mission of the church. Let me repeat that. I want us to see that a life yielded to Christ, a, a Romans 2, a Ro Romans 12, 1 and 2 life, looks like a life devoted to exercising your spiritual gifts for the benefit of one another and the mission of this church. And so to this end, I first want to appeal to you to think sensibly about your own giftedness 
from God. That's our first point. I think those will be up on the screen. This is what Paul means when he says to think sober-minded in verse 3. Let me just read that. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I want us to first to think sensibly, think reasonably. As, as Paul says, think with sober judgment about your own giftedness from God. And notice here in verse 3, the manner by which we are to think reasonably about ourselves, he says, accords with the measure of faith that God has assigned to each one of us. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? I'm to exercise my gifts and according to the measure of faith that God has given me. Now this idea of measurements of faith that that's what are we talking about here some litmus test or uh, what does Paul mean by the measure of faith well he's speaking about the quantity of faith or trust that each believer possesses as it relates to the use of their spiritual gifts and so yes he's talking about people having greater degrees of faith and and their greater degrees of faith somehow relates to the use of their spiritual gifts. And I hope to help us see that a little bit more. But for instance, think of a person, this is most of us here, who have been gifted, just thinking humanly speaking, with the ability to read and write. Okay? Think about just that, just ability that many people have. Well, just because someone can read and write doesn't mean that everyone has the same writing or reading level, right? And there can be various reasons for why some are better readers or writers than others. It could be just the simple fact that we're talking to a child, and they've only been reading or writing for a year or a couple of months. Or maybe we're talking to someone who hasn't been given the same opportunities to develop. Maybe, maybe you have, have been an English major and you had the opportunity to go to college and, and that's all you did. You, you read and you wrote. Maybe that's your field of work where you, you have to write a lot and read a lot. And so, yeah, you're naturally just going to have a greater level of competency there. Or just... The one way one's wired impacts how one reads and writes. Isn't that true? Some of us just, you know, you see it in some kids, and it's like no one even had to teach that kid how to read and write. They just, they just know how to do it. In other kids, it takes longer. Well, same thing with adults. Some of us are just wired in certain ways, at least in this analogy, that, you know, it just comes easier. Or it might just be harder for you. Well, as we apply this to the more spiritual realm, 
Paul is calling us to have a reality check about who we are in the sight of God. Specifically, that our spiritual maturity, now I'm being very specific with how I'm I'm talking here. Our spiritual maturity corresponds with our measure of trusting God in the use of our gifts. Using our gifts, brothers and sisters, is an act of faith whereby I trust God to work in and through me the way he has gifted me. So this is what I'm not saying. Oh, if you have this gift, it's because you have lots of faith. And the reason you have that gift is because you don't have faith. That's not what Paul's saying, nor am I trying to communicate. So let me just clarify that. Rather, the way you use the gifts that you have demonstrates your maturity in faith. Do you understand that difference? That you trust, God, this is how you've gifted me, and I use it and trust that this is the best way I can minister. Think reasonably about yourself. And that, that can be, have a, a, as Paul hits, a, a, a guard yourself from pride. Oh, I have this gift. I must be real mature. Well, if that's the way you're thinking, you're not. Or I don't have that gift. I'm, I must not be real mature. That's not what Paul's saying. The mature one discerns the will of God in their life as God has particularly gifted them. And to the measure of faith, to the growth that you are at, you exercise that gift. And so that's different for everybody. Faithfulness is not readily seen. It's a matter between you and the Lord at times. Now that will be seen, but that's what Paul is getting after. And so the more I trust God with what he's given me, there is the principle that the more I'll grow in the measure of faith. I mean, we know the, the parable of the talents, right? If you don't, it's a parable where Jesus speaks of, 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 a, of a master who gives his servants various amounts of talents, or, or, or we think of money. Some has a small amount, some has a medium amount, some has more. But all of them were were judged not on the amount of money they had in the end, but how they used it. And so here Paul is, is picking up on those things and, and, and pressing upon us to use our gifts in the measure of faith that we have. And when we think of our giftedness and our ability, and those sometimes are, I don't necessarily think we should be trying to separate them. They're all given by God. They're gifts of God. They're assigned by God. As as Paul says this to the Corinthians, he he reminds them, he says, what do you have that you did not receive? Let me ask you, what do you have in your life, your abilities, your physical makeup, the house you were born into, the opportunities, what do you have that you did not receive? You know the right answer is nothing. Nothing. Okay. Okay. Paul goes on, then, if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? More directly, he'd say, why do you boast as if you did it all? As if you are the one who wired your brain that way. So no matter how gifted you may think you are, you must realize that everything you have, even the amount of faith you exercise here, notice, is assigned by God. And that should create great humility in us, shouldn't it? 
So how do we begin to exercise a measure of faith as it concerns our spiritual gifts? Here's where it gets a little more practical. Well, first of all, we are to trust that God has gifted us in a particular way or ways, okay? Start there. Do you exercise faith in that statement? That God, if I'm a Christian, if I have turned from my sins and trusted Jesus Christ for my righteousness, I've been born again, I am now a baptized believer in Christ, that he has gifted you in a particular way or ways for his purpose. Do you believe that? That's your, that might be where you're starting. That might be step one, the measure of faith where you are. I've never believed that. We'll start believing it. Start trusting God in that way. And so every Christian has received what we call spiritual gifts. Okay? Here's how Paul states it in 1 Corinthians 12. To each, he's talking about Christians here, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's where we get it. Manifestations of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit by which we use these abilities that God has given us to, for the common good of others. Here in Romans 12, 3, and then verse 6 as well, he calls it the grace given to each of us. Notice how Paul begins his exhortation. For the grace given to me. He's using his gift as he writes this letter. That's what he's saying. Then look in verse 6. Having gifts that differ, why do they differ? According to the grace given to us. Now, this isn't sa saving grace here. This is God's grace in giving you spiritual gifts. Do you see that as a grace of God? Equipping you and preparing you for service in his kingdom? Well, Paul, in, in the rest of verses 6 through 8, then gives a, a listing of these gifts, and we'll return to that later in the sermon. But what I want us to see right now is that we are to recognize that God has particularly shown us grace. He has lavished grace upon us in such a way that the Holy Spirit will use our God-given abilities for the building up of the church and the work of ministry. That's what I want you to see. And if you are a Christian... You have been gifted, whether you're using it or not, it's a different conversation, but you have been gifted for my edification and everybody else's edification and the, and, and, and the work of ministry here at Oak Park Baptist Church, if you're a member here in particular. But what if you don't know what your gifting is? Maybe you're saying, okay, um, I've, I've heard this my whole life, but I have no idea. I have no idea what my gifting is. Well, then second, here's another means by which you begin to trust God. Trust God's means of discerning your gifts. Begin to trust God's means of discerning your gifts. This is connected to what Paul says in, in 12.2 where he talks about by the testing or renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Discerning your spiritual gifts is a process of maturing in your faith whereby you learn God's will for your life in the church. We often don't think about that when we're thinking about God's will, do we? God's will is that you serve in the church, but sometimes that, that's a process of figuring where it's out, especially if you're a, a new Christian. Where do I fit in this group? 
what I want you to know, you do fit. Now the question is, how? How do I fit? And that's a process of learning, of discerning God's will for your life in the church. So how, how do you go about discerning your giftedness? Well, here are four practical questions I encourage, or three practical questions I encourage believers to work through. Number one, what do you desire to do? What do you desire to do? Here's what I know. If you are a Christian, your desire to, if it's truly, I want to serve the church. Well, that's not of the evil one. He doesn't want you serving the church. So if you have a desire to serve or, or meet a need or be a part, that's not sinful. That's, that's, a, that's a good gift from God. That, that desire is good. We, we should pursue it. Now think about also how God has lavished you. How, be, how he's lavished his grace upon you. What he's enabled you to do. And I'm thinking just, just think about your life. What blessings has God brought into your life that you enjoy? Think of your employment. That usually aligns with somewhat of your gifting and your ability. God didn't just give you that job, if you're a Christian, so that you may accumulate on this in this life. No, He gave you a job so that you may work for things that will last for eternity. So how do you connect those two things? I don't know. That's something to, to talk about, think about. But some of the very skills that you're using in your workplace, we can use here. Think about your, your schooling. And I'm thinking of all age groups here. What are the subjects you excel in? What are the things that you enjoy? Do you know you could use those gifts here in the church? That's where I want us to get at least. And it's not just those who go to Bible college. I'm talking about your, your business or your math or your, your science, your English literature, your worldview, your politics. All those classes are, fall under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So why wouldn't they have a place here? Maybe it's just we haven't thought that way before. What influence has God given you? Maybe you have a family. Maybe it's a neighbor that you've, you, you've begun to have influence in. Uh, what are the areas that God has given you an in? That's, that's particularly his grace to you, his gifting to you. Or as you hear needs, has he equipped you in a particular way? You're like, I, I could meet that need. Okay, we're depending on you to meet that need. That's God working. That's the Holy Spirit working in you through tangible means and equipping you for the work of ministry. And so I, I want to press you, don't just think of things on the large scale when I'm thinking of needs. Think about your immediate spheres of your life. And what is it that you desire to do? Do you desire to talk to people about Jesus? Do you desire to maybe teach the Bible? Maybe you have a desire to work with children or, or to organize things and help lead. And, you're, and you look at something, oh man, that, if that got some organization, that would really work. I'm not good at that, but I could, I could tell people what to do. No, you got to watch yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself on it. You have the ability to sing or play music. Or maybe you just like to be a helping hand. We need those all the time. And you're just a... Uh, 
Just someone who, yeah, I can help in various ways. Just tell me what to do. Next question. What do others think about what I'm doing? I mean this in the most healthy sense. What do others think about what I'm doing? You and I need to realize that part of God's means of helping us discern our gifts is that God uses other godly people in our lives to help us realize our giftedness. And so this may look in in various ways. Some of you need to start listening to what God's people are saying because we need you to do more than you're actually doing. You're more gifted than maybe you realize. Or maybe you're being disobedient and you're giving your time to other things. And you need to start, listen, oh, there's a need in the church that other believers are calling me to who have identified. They see the giftedness in me. Why aren't you doing it? That's humility. If you listen, that's to the measure of faith. You're trusting, you're growing in your trust of the Lord. Some of you, maybe it's that you need to listen. It's not that you're not gifted in that area, just the area you're trying to use it in isn't your area. I don't have an agenda here. I'm just talking in principle. So in case you're thinking, is he talking about me? Not necessarily, okay? I left that ambiguous, didn't I? Um, No, I'm, I'm serious. I don't have anybody in mind. But maybe a leader comes to you or other believers, and it's not that you're not good at that. Maybe we got too many over in one area, and we need to reallocate. And so it might not look like, oh, it was that ministry. It was this ministry that I'm doing my gifts in. And that's the process by which God's people, we work together and we, we listen As one pastor wisely states, the Lord calls upon us to assess our gifts realistically. That's what Paul's saying here. And here is where other people can help us. For our gifts don't just reflect what we think about ourselves. Do you believe that? Your gifts do not just reflect what you think about yourself. Sometimes we're deceived. Sometimes we think we are God's gift to this And everybody around you says, no, you're not. Will you listen? Oh, how many a Christian hops from church to church to church because they haven't come to grips with this principle. And they're just hoping somebody else is going to figure it out. And I often tell them, what makes you think the other godly people are going to tell you something differently? Why don't you humble yourself and use the way that everybody's telling you you're gifted at? Here's another area that I think we struggle in. It's common language among Christians to speak about their calling, and, and that's not bad on the surface. That's good. We, we do. I've, I've mentioned it here. You have a calling. You have a, a purpose. And, and this principle was well recovered in the Reformation that gave uh, the blacksmith just as much calling as the, as the church leader. You have a purpose. You have a, a role. However, some people confuse their desire with calling. That doesn't mean that they're at odds, but I have a desire, God must have told me I'm called, and therefore they're gripped on it and don't listen to anybody. You're short-circuiting the process. 
And so at best, they've come to a conclusion in isolation. Or at worst, they've completely disregarded what is obvious to everyone else. I can tell you, I desire to rock it out on these drums. <laughs> and just have a face-melting guitar solo on Sunday. But it's not going to happen. It is not. It doesn't matter how hard I try. I'm not getting up here on stage. Just have some statements here. You're not called to a ministry until you have a ministry. You get what I mean there? I'm called to that. Okay, why are you, are you doing it? Nope. Have you ever done it? Nope. So you're not, let's figure out if you're called. I'm called to the mission field. Have you ever been on the mission field? Nope. Okay, well, let's figure it out. And by the way, Caitlin is a model example of how she's gone about doing that. It doesn't mean that you'll be up on stage. Maybe you figure out, no, I'm not called. And that'll be a grace to you and to everybody else around you. You're not called to teach unless God's people say, will you teach us? You're not called. You're not called to the pastorate until God's church says, we want you to be our pastor. Do you see how that works? Now you may desire, and that's a good thing. Now the process is discerning, is that God's will for your life, or is that your will for your life? Not my will be done, but your will be done. Is that truly our prayer? That's rightly thinking about ourselves. And so what I want us to see is that God's will and our gifts are confirmed through the affirmation of God's people. It's confirmed through the affirmation of God's people. And as you can imagine, this is going to take humility. As Paul says, sober judgment. The last question is, what has God allowed me to do? What has God allowed me to do? I think of James where he talks about those who say, today or tomorrow we will go in such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profits. Yet he says to them, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For we are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That's what I'd love to see in that calling language. I desire go to the mission field. I desire to be a pastor. I desire to serve in this type of ministry. I desire to teach. I desire to serve. I'm submitting myself to the Lord's will as I pursue that. That's more healthy, sober judgment going on there. Not only are we to think with sober judgment, but we're also to think sensibly about the gifts of others. We need to recognize the diversity of gifts in the church, okay? Part of this is not realizing it's all about you. It's realizing that God has assembled different people around us. Look at what he says in verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Brothers and sisters, God is particularly glorified in the diversity of gifts in this room. The diversity of personalities, the diversity of abilities, the per diversity of comfortability in certain situations. 
He does not want us all to be monolithic in the same in that sense. Yes, we're one, but yet very, very different. And so if everybody's not going to be the same, they're not even going to be wired the same, and that's God's design, then it doesn't mean that everybody has to use their gift the way you use it. You get that? Now, there are parameters, but I'm trying to just bring us over. doesn't mean that because they don't do it the way you do, or they don't have the boldness that you do, or they, they approach it a little bit differently, or that they're, they're on another sphere than you are, doesn't mean they're immature and you're mature. The one who does what God has called them to, to do in secret is just as faithful to the one who does what God has called them to do in the open. What do I mean by that? The person knocking on doors sharing the gospel, do you think they're more important than the person that you have no idea who's praying for that person? And I know for a fact, just because probed enough in in people's lives, that there are some of you who are fine with the obscurity and you're faithfully praying. Are they somehow not on mission? You and I, who are more open, would be ineffective if they weren't working on their knees in secret. Have a sober judgment about yourself as you consider the giftedness of others. Not everybody's going to be the same. Their ministry's not going to look the same. It's going to be different. And so the point is, is that no one's the be-all, end-all here. We all need each other so that this body is functioning as a whole and we're able to accomplish the mission that God has called us to do. Therefore, if you're a member of this church, I want you to know there's a ministry for you and and it might not have a title, okay? But you are particularly gifted in every sense. Even your weakness is particularly grafted so that God gets glory in situations that he otherwise wouldn't get glory. Do you believe that? that? That's the measure of faith. Do you trust him? I don't have to be that guy. I don't have to be that girl. It doesn't mean that I don't strive to get better in my gifts, but I don't have to be that person. In fact, I don't need to be that person. I need to be who I am. And there's great freedom, brothers and sisters, when you can find that place. Not that you have arrived. None of us have but a sense of, I know who God has made me. It doesn't matter if I get the accolades or not because I'm serving him. And I'm able to use my gifts the way that I've, I've, I've worked through those channels and I've seen fruit enough that's confirmed in my life and people have encouraged me or found my ministry particularly helpful that I rest in that. That's where I'd love us all to be so that we're all working heartily to the measure of faith that is assigned to us, working and serving and using our gifts. So this leads me to my final exhortation to you. This one's pretty straightforward. So exercise your gifts within the church. This is Paul's exhortation to us in verses 6 through 8. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Let us use them. Let us use them. 
And then he goes on and he, he gives some different gifts. He says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy and cheerfulness. Here is just one list of four that's contained in the New Testament that, that what kind of details some of the spiritual gifts. The others come in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. We read that at our pastoral prayer time. And each of these lists, I want you to see, is not comprehensive. They're representative. And even in all these things, you could think of levels of expressions of these gifts. And I hope to kind of help us see that here in a minute. These are a sampling of the types of gifts that God bestows upon his people. However, if we were to kind of categorize these into two main groups, you could put them in these two groups. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. Okay? And you can see that in this list. Speaking gifts would be prophecy, teaching, exhortation. Serving gifts, service, um, contributing, leading, administrating, and mercy. So what are these? I'm going to breeze through this quickly. Prophecy is the reception of spontaneous and inerrant revelations that are communicated to God's people for a particular occasion in the life of the church. We'll come back to that one, okay? Teaching, one who's gifted in communicating the truths of God's word. So that could look like being a pastor, right? That's, you need that gift. It's in 1 Timothy 3, apt to teach. Was that the only place that teaching can occur? No. Teaching happens at all ages in this church. Teaching happens off campus among this church. You don't have to be given a position of teaching to start teaching. I hope, dads, you're teaching in your home. I hope, moms, that you're teaching in your home. Or if you're not a mom or dad, that you're, you're, you're looking for ways to communicate the gospel at some level. Now, does that mean that everybody's to be a teacher? No, clearly that's not the point. There's some that are going to be particularly gifted at that. But just know, no matter how big the, the sphere is, that if you're gifted in that, we, we need to use you in a particular way. Exhortation is what he says here. And that's the ability to urge others to live righteously in showing pastoral care to the afflicted and distressed. That is, that is a sense of what I'm doing. I'm exhorting you. I'm applying the Scripture. So even there, there's different types of teachers. Some are going to be more theological and content-oriented, and they're going to be lecture-driven. And then there's the one who's more, hey, let's sit over coffee and let's talk about this and, and, and think through it, and, and they're more applicable. Is one better than the other? No. And there's some that are going to have a mixture of that. They're going to lean one way to the other. Serving gifts. He has here the service is what it's called. It's where we get our word deacon, actually. It's the same word. I bet there would be few people eyeing for that position if we just called it the servants. Because that's what this is. Deacons are, are, are just recognized servants in the church. And this gift of serving is the gift of assisting others. And again, everyone's called to serve, right? I mean, we're appealing to you. In fact, I want you to fill out this card if you can, all right? That card on ministry opportunities. It's one way you can serve. Here are needs. I know that we have people particularly gifted 
or we'll be willing to help you discern your giftedness if you will sign the dotted line. You know, that. But then you know those people are just, oh my word, they're just so good at it. They just serve like crazy. They're just always around. Or, you know, every time someone's moving, man, they're the first person there, the last person to leave. Then they somehow to come over here at the church and they're, they're serving in different capacities. Then you see them, they come home, they, they're helping their neighbor. And I'm exhausted just thinking about that. But yeah, and there's some of you are just like, I can't sit around and do study. I got to serve somebody. We need you. We cannot do that video that we just saw about VBS without servants contributing. All believers are to give. But then there are some who are able to do it in remarkable ways. Did you realize your, your financial stability is a gift from God? That some of you are particularly blessed by God so that you may meet the needs of this church and meet the needs of ministry around the globe. That's how you serve. I try to remind our staff that all the time. We're not able to do what we're able to do for many reasons, but one is we have very generous people. And we don't take that for granted. And so the point here that Paul is saying is so those of you who give, give generously. And those of you who teach, teach. Because that's what they're giving for. Or serve, because that's what they're doesn't mean that people give, well, I don't have to do anything. But they're going to have focuses. Along this line on contributing, they, they, they may serve in our mercy ministries. When they see needs arise, they're able to help meet them, or collections of people are able to meet them. And that doesn't mean just the people who've, who've got the, the you know, six-figure income. Maybe your Lord's giving you a simple life and, you, and you're adjusted and you're freed up in a way that maybe others in your same economic bracket aren't, but you're now able to meet needs. And the Lord's brought people in your life in a way that you, you can bless them. I think of, I'm just looking at them because this is public, I feel like I can say it. I think about uh, Daniel and Sylvia Rodriguez. Just, hey, we, we got to get a new car. This one needs some work on. And they could sell it, I presume, but said, hey, church families, anybody who needs help, car and we'll just give it and that's not the first time that's happened in this church for the world eyes and i'm not saying you're wrong if you went and sold your car to trade in for a better one okay man that's contrary isn't it maybe there's somebody else who could use this and we can we might not get as nice of a next car leading and administrating this gift speaks to the ability to to give godly and visionary guidance to the church. And that leadership occurs at various levels all over the place. And then there's mercy. Some of you just have a knack for bringing comfort to those who are hurting. You just do. You're able to, to just sit there and just how you're wired, how you're gifted, you're able to serve and bring mercy in a tangible way. We don't have people like that. Our church is cold. We need you. Notice that Paul calls us to use our gifts in corresponding spheres of the church. If, if you're particularly gifted in a way and you've, you've begun to discern that, go to those areas where those needs are going to be met. 
So what might that look like? And this is where I kind of want to conclude. First, express that desire to one of the team leaders, a ministry leader. If you don't know who those are, call the church office. We'll email you a list. Here's all the ministries in the church, at least categorized, and here's a leader of that. And say, hey, I, I'm convicted by the sermon. I'm not, I'm, not, um, I'm not serving or not using my gifts to the capacity that I know that I should be. I'm convicted about it. Is there, is there a place to serve here? And remember that there might be more than one area you can use your gifts. It might not look like, oh, I want to serve in children's. Hey, actually, we need you over here. That's not going to happen, by the way. But, uh, um, <laughs> but it could, in theory, all right? Oh, yeah, well, you want to serve children? We needed you yesterday. Second, as that ministry leader um, allows you to begin to serve, um, you begin assessing, praying, thinking, can I do more? What, what might this look like over the long haul? Maybe you're content and that's, you're, you're, you're maxed out. This is stretching you. That's okay. And then ask for feedback. How am I doing? You've entrusted me with this. Are there areas I could get better at? Or areas I need to grow? Or maybe you just realized, I'm not good at this. I thought I would be. That's okay. It doesn't mean there's no hope for you here. That just means we discerned today. And we'll try it another sphere. And as that leader gets to know you, you might say, you know what? I know something else is going on. You're actually better at this. Let's get you working here. And that's the process by which we want to lead you here at Oak Park so that we're using our gifts to God's purpose in our life. So this morning, my goal has been to help us see that a life yielded to Christ in worship is a life devoted to exercising your spiritual gifts for the benefit of one another and the mission of this church. In order to do that, you need to think sensibly about your own gifts, recognize that diversity of others' gifts, and then exercise your gifts within the church. Now, I said I'd come back to that issue of prophecy. What I meant by that is that's next Sunday, okay? And so we're going to come back because I, I know I, I, anytime I've spoken on spiritual gifts, the, the question that some of you want to know is, well, what about like tongues? and healings, and, and uh, prophecies. Well, next Sunday's your Sunday, okay? Uh, so come back, and I hope to address those issues so that we might think reasonably about our own giftedness in this day and age. All right? Let me pray for us, and we'll sing a closing song. Father, thank you that you have gifted us in unique ways. And, uh, and Lord, you are particularly glorified and Lord, we've benefited here at this church as so many have recognized that they have found where you have gifted them and they have served in a variety of capacities. And Lord, I pray for, for our leaders and, and our pastors and deacons, Lord, that we would have an eye and, and think, how can I get more people involved as you bring more people to us? Lord, this is a sign of, that we are your disciples, that the world may see our love for one another and glorify you who are in heaven. I pray that they would see our love for one another as we serve one another through our giftings. And Lord, that more people may come to love you because of it. And I pray these things 
so that your will may be done on earth at Oak Park Baptist as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing a closing song. Yeah.